Chapter Forty One of Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In vain should I attempt to describe the astonishment and disquiet of Herbert when he and I and Provis sat down before the fire, and I recounted the whole of the secret. Enough that I saw my own feelings reflected in Herbert's face, and not least among them my repugnance towards the man who had done so much for me. What would alone have set a division between that man and us, if there had been no other dividing circumstance, was his triumph in my story. Saving his troublesome sense of having been low on one occasion since his return, on which point he began to hold forth to Herbert the moment my revelation was finished, he had no perception of the possibility of my finding any fault with my good fortune. His boast that he had made me a gentleman, and that he had come to see me support the character on his ample resources, was made for me quite as much as for himself, and that it was a highly agreeable boast to both of us, and that we must both be very proud of it, was a conclusion quite established in his own mind. Oh, look here, Pip's comrade, he said to Herbert, after having discoursed for some time. I know very well that once since I come back for half a minute I've been low. I said to Pip, I knowed as I'd been low, but don't you fret yourself on that score. I ain't made Pip a gentleman, and Pip ain't going to make you a gentleman, not for me to know what's due to you both, dear boy, and Pip's comrade. You two may count upon me always, having a genteel muzzle on. Muzzled I have been since that half a minute when I was betrayed into lowness, and muzzled I am at the present time. Muzzled I will ever be. Herbert said, certainly, but looked as if there were no specific consolation in this, and he remained perplexed and dismayed. We were anxious for the time when he would go to his lodging and leave us together, but he was evidently jealous of leaving us together, and sat late. It was midnight before I took him round to Essex Street, and saw him safely in at his own dark door. When it closed upon him, I experienced the first moment of relief I had known since the night of his arrival. Never quite free from an uneasy remembrance of the man on the stairs, I had always looked about me in taking my guest out after dark, and in bringing him back, and I looked about me now. Difficult as it is in a large city to avoid the suspicion of being watched when the mind is conscious of danger in that regard, I could not persuade myself that any of the people within sight cared about my movements. The few who were passing passed on their several ways, and the street was empty when I turned back into the temple. Nobody had come out at the gate with us, nobody went in at the gate with me. As I crossed by the fountain I saw his lighted back windows looking bright and quiet, and when I stood for a few moments in the doorway of the building where I lived before going up the stairs, Garden Court was as still and lifeless as the staircase was when I ascended it. Herbert received me with open arms, and I have never felt before so blessedly what it is to have a friend. When he had spoken some sound words of sympathy and encouragement, we sat down to consider the question, what was to be done? The chair that Provis had occupied still remaining where it had stood, for he had a barrack way with him of hanging about one spot, in one unsettled manner, and going through one round of observances with his pipe and his negro head and his jackknife and his pack of cards, and what not, as if it were all put down for him on a slate. I say his chair remaining where it had stood, Herbert unconsciously took it, 
but next moment started out of it pushed it away and took another he had no occasion to say after that that he had conceived an aversion for my patron neither had i occasion to confess my own we interchanged that confidence without shaping a syllable what i said to herbert when he was safe in another chair what is to be done my poor dear handel he replied holding his head i am too stunned to think so was i herbert when the blow first fell still something must be done he is intent upon various new expenses horses and carriages and lavish appearance of all kinds he must be stopped somehow you mean that you can't accept how can i i interposed as herbert paused think of him look at him an involuntary shudder passed over both of us yet i am afraid the dreadful truth is herbert that he is attached to me strongly attached to me was there ever such a fate my poor dear handel herbert repeated then said i after all stopping short here never taking another penny from him think what i owe him already then again i am heavily in debt very heavily for me who now have no expectations and i have been bred to no calling and i am fit for nothing well 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 herbert remonstrated don't say fit for nothing what am i fit for i only know one thing that i am fit for that is to go for a soldier and i might have gone my dear herbert but for the prospect of taking counsel with your friendship and affection of course i broke down there and of course herbert beyond seizing a warm grip of my hand pretended not to know it anyhow my dear handel he said presently soldiering won't do if you were to renounce this patronage and these favours I suppose you would do so with some faint hope of one day repaying what you have already had not very strong that hope if you went soldiering besides it's absurd you would be infinitely better in clarica's house small as it is i'm working up towards a partnership you know poor fellow he little suspected with whose money but there is another question said herbert this is an ignorant determined man who has long had one fixed idea more than that he seems to me i may misjudge him to be a man of a desperate and fierce character i know he is i returned let me tell you what evidence i have seen of it and i told him what i had not mentioned in my narrative of that encounter with the other convict see then said herbert think of this he comes here at the peril of his life for the realization of his fixed idea in the moment of realization after all his toil and waiting you cut the ground from under his feet destroy his idea and make his gains worthless to him do you see nothing that he might do under the disappointment i have seen it herbert and dreamed of it ever since the fatal night of his arrival nothing has been in my thoughts so distinctly as his putting himself in the way of being taken then you may rely upon it said herbert that there would be great danger of his doing it that is his power over you as long as he remains in england and that would be his reckless course if you forsook him i was so struck by the horror of this idea which had weighed upon me from the first and the working out of which would make me regard myself in some sort as his murderer that i could not rest in my chair but began pacing to and fro i said to herbert meanwhile that even if provis were recognized and taken in spite of himself i should be wretched as the cause however innocently yes even though i was so wretched in having him at large and near me and even though i would far rather have worked at the forge all the days of my life than i would ever have come to this but there was no staving off the question what was to be done 
the first and main thing to be done said herbert is to get him out of england you will have to go with him and then he may be induced to go but get him where i will could i prevent his coming back my good handel it is not obvious that with newgate in the next street there must be a far greater hazard in your breaking your mind to him and making him reckless here than elsewhere if a pretext to get him away could be made out of that other convict or out of anything else in his life now there again said i stopping before herbert with my open hands held out as if they contained the desperation of the case i know nothing of his life it has almost made me mad to sit here of a night and see him before me so bound up with my fortunes and misfortunes and yet so unknown to me except as the miserable wretch who terrified me two days in my childhood herbert got up and linked his arm in mine and we slowly walked to and fro together studying the carpet handel said herbert stopping you feel convinced that you can take no further benefits from him do you fully surely you would too if you were in my place and you feel convinced that you must break with him herbert can you ask me and you have and are bound to have that tenderness for the life he has risked on your account that you must save him if possible from throwing it away then you must get him out of england before you stir a finger to extricate yourself that done extricate yourself in heaven's name and we'll see it out together dear old boy it was a comfort to shake hands upon it and walk up and down again with only that done now herbert said i with reference to gaining some knowledge of his history there is but one way that i know of i must ask him point blank yes ask him said herbert when we sit at breakfast in the morning for he had said on taking leave of herbert that he would come to breakfast with us with this project formed we went to bed i had the wildest dreams concerning him and woke unrefreshed i woke too to recover the fear which i had lost in the night of his being found out as a return transport waking i never lost that fear he came round at the appointed time took out his jackknife and sat down to his meal he was full of plans for his gentleman's coming out strong and like a gentleman and urged me to begin speedily upon the pocket-book which he had left in my possession he considered the chambers in his own lodging as temporary residences and advised me to look out at once for a fashionable crib near hyde park in which he could have a shake-down when he had made an end of his breakfast and was wiping his knife on his leg i said to him without a word of preface after you were gone last night i told my friend of the struggle that the soldiers found you engaged in on the marshes when we came up you remember remember said he i think so we want to know something about that man and about you it is strange to know no more about either and particularly you than i was able to tell last night is not this as good a time as another for our knowing more well he said after consideration you're on your oath you know pip's comrade assuredly replied herbert as to anything i say you know he insisted the oath applies to all i understand it to do so look here whatever is done i worked out and paid for he insisted again so be it he took out his black pipe and was going to fill it with negro head when looking at the tangle of tobacco in his hand he seemed to think it might perplex the thread of his narrative he put it back again stuck his pipe in a buttonhole of his coat and spread a hand on each knee and after turning an angry eye on the fire for a few silent moments he looked round at us and said what follows 
End of chapter 41